Well, what is up, Emmanuel? How you doing? So, uh, so this morning I woke up and I'm thinking, okay, it's time to go to church and going to give this talk twice and it's going to be awesome. And so it just kind of went into my rhythms and routines and I, um, I totally, totally forgot that today is my anniversary. So I come to church and I'm done preaching. My wife's sitting down front here and, you know, she's hearing me like pontificate, you know. And she, afterwards uh, she says, uh, after the service, happy anniversary. And I was like, oh, it's the 14th, isn't it? So, um, yeah, so got some making up to do after the service. <laughs> no, she was cool with it. She was cool with it. So anyway, 17 years. You know, honestly, I told her, those of you who don't know my wife, I told her, I said, you know, if I were single, if I were like just a single guy and I saw you, I'd be like, do you want to go on a date? Like right now, like I would, like you're kind of like, you got it going on. So it's good stuff. Uh, we're going to do that marriage thing again that we did last year. Wasn't that fun? We're going to try to do that again at some point. Just kind of get Jackie back up here. She's got so much good stuff to say. Would you guys like to do that again? It's just... You hear me all the time. It's like, wah, 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 you know, it's, get Jackie up here. Anyway, um, so yeah, so real quick, before we get jumping into this new series, so excited about it. Hey, just wanted to give you an update on our Franklin campus. Some of you know, most of you know by now, we're a multi-site church. We've got this campus. We have a campus in Perry Meridian at the corner of Banta and Harding. There's services going on right there right now. There's also services going on in the Franklin Middle School. And uh, at this very moment, it's very exciting. And right now, that campus in Franklin... I'm like doing this because Franklin's over there, right? I have no idea where Franklin is at this point, what direction am I facing? But uh, they're, they're a tear-up, set-down, or a set-up, tear-down church right now. So Saturday night, they have this whole team of people that goes in there and sets up. And then after the service is over today, they'll tear it down and pack up trucks. And, and it's a mobile church, and it's awesome, and it's working. But we told them from the get-go that it, that's a temporary solution. We're going to build a permanent site there, just like we did at Banta. And, um, and so there's a, that's in the process. We found a piece of property. I think I told you about that. We're going through all the zoning things with Franklin. We're talking to an architect and builder and all that stuff. And so it's going to happen, and it's very, very exciting. Can we give God a hand for that? <clears throat> we'll be talking more about this uh, in the next couple of weeks and, and how, how all that's going to roll out. As I get more details, I'll give them out to you. And so just continue to be in prayer about that. Very, very exciting. So life is better connected. I will never jump out of an airplane. How many of you were thinking that during that video? Not me. Yeah, me too. I'm sitting there watching that. I'm like, that's crazy. I was on a ladder yesterday painting something some, in, a, in a room. Seriously, I was like, and the ladder was like six feet, and I'm up there painting, and I had like, you know, the, the feeling inside of my chest just because I'm afraid of heights. I can't imagine jumping out of an airplane, uh, even if my small group did it. So uh, it's crazy. <laughs> Life is better connected on the ground. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so the other day I was doing a little research. Gallup does a lot of polling, and they do all that stuff, and, and George Gallup said that America... Americans are among the most lonely people in the world. And when I, when I heard that, Americans are among the most lonely people on the planet, I thought, that can't be. I mean, Americans, we're three-fourths of us live in metropolitan areas. We are surrounded by other people. 
in our neighborhoods, at the grocery store, at the gym, at our schools, everywhere we go, we are around people. And then there's Facebook, right? There's just people everywhere we go. How can it be possible that we are among the most lonely people in the world? And so I was doing a little studying on this, reading a couple different books. And one author, Bill Willits, who's a who's a groups director at a church in, in uh, Alpharetta, Georgia called North Point, small little church, you know, they only have 72,000 people in small groups, little thing going on in Atlanta. Um, Bill Willits, who kind of oversees all of that, he said this, he said that casual relationships are not life-giving, and there's the answer. How is it that our Americans among the most lonely people in the world? It's because we have a lot of casual relationships, we have a lot of acquaintances, We can run into people in Target and do the whole, how are you? How are the kids? Good. Okay, see you later. (laughs) We can do that real well, right? We we all live in, not all of us, but a lot of us live in neighborhoods where people drive into their driveway, hit the button, garage door goes up, pull in, garage door goes down. (laughs) Meanwhile, we got all these neighbors around us that we really never even talked to, really don't even know. He says, casual relationships are not life-giving. In other words, you were created for more than acquaintances and just kind of knowing people's faces. You were created to know people deeply deeply and be known by people deeply. And that's why we feel so lonely. So we're going to do a series on called, you know, Life is Better Together. We're going to talk about this idea of uh, of community and how you were created for more than just casual, casual relationships. And I want to go back to the book of Genesis to kind of start and get some perspective here on, on how we were created. And, and it, we'll have a little fun here. So in, in Genesis chapter one, what happens on day one? Does anybody know? God created what? Anybody? I took a class in, uh, called Genesis at, at Liberty. Oh, it was an awesome class. Anybody remember what happened on day one? Yeah, God created light. Let there be light. And there was light and darkness. Anybody remember day two? What happened on day two? What did God create? He separated the sky and the waters, right? And he said it was good. Day one, he said it was good. Light and dark, darkness, it was good. Day two, it, he separated heavens and the earth. And there was oceans and sky. It was good. Anybody remember what happened on day three? The dry ground and grass and all that stuff he created. He said it was really good. Anybody remember day four? Day four, call it out. You remember what, what did God create on day four? Some of you remember Sunday school? He created the sun and the, and the moon and all the stars on day four, right? What happened on day five? What did he create on day five? Some of you are looking. <laughs> day five, he created all the birds and the fish. Day six, he created the animals and he also created man on day six. Now on day five, four, three, two, and one, after he created what he created, he said it was good. On day six, something changes. Check out Genesis chapter two, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is, say it with me, it is not good. Whoa, 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 whoa. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Then he creates man, and it's not good. What does he say? It's not good that man should be, say it with me, alone. So I'm gonna make him a helper, fit for him. To go along with him. In other words, God looked at all the animals, all the thing, all the animals. He said, like, none of them will fit Adam to be a, you know, a good partner, even though the dog comes pretty close. <laughs> How many have a dog you just love? Isn't it amazing? Like this morning, my dog jumped into bed. He does. He likes to wake me up. He comes into bed. He's a little, little uh, schnauzer. And he gets in my face with all his nasty, bad, terrible breath. And I don't even care. It's like, lick me away. It's fine. You smell like a, your mouth smells like a, you know, you know, a bottom. But that's all right. You know, it's a, kiss me. 
I mean, how, what kind of love do you have to have for let, to let your dog do that, you know? And it's a, so, but, but God says the dog is good, it's going to help, but it's not, it's not enough. I, I, need to, I need to create someone else. And he created the woman. And so all of a sudden Eve shows up, you know, puts Adam to sleep, takes rib out of Adam's side, creates woman out of the, out of the rib. And, and, and Adam is stunned. And he's stunned because of her hair. He's stunned because of her eyes. He's stunned because of her smile. And he's stunned because of her teeth and her lips. And he's stunned because she's naked. <laughs> and he's like... Wow. And he goes into this immediate spontaneous session of worship because Adam because Eve is naked. Anyway. I made all that up, but it probably is true. I mean, how could it not be true, right? Uh, so where were we? Yeah, so it's not good. So it's not good. So um John Ortberg wrote a book called Everyone's Normal Until You Get to Know Him. I love that title. And he has a perspective on Genesis chapter 2 I thought is fantastic. I've never, I've never thought about it this way before until I read this book. He says about Genesis 2, watch this. What is striking is that the fall, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, Satan tempted them, all that stuff, that the fall had not yet occurred. There is no sin, no disobedience, nothing to mar the relationship between God and man. The human being is in a state of perfect intimacy with God. Each word he and God speak to each other is filled with closeness and joy. He walks with God in the, in the garden in the cool of the day. He is known and loved to the core of his being by his omniscient, love-filled creator. Yet the word God uses to describe him is alone. And God says that this aloneness is not good. Sometimes in church circles, when people say that they're lonely, we tell them not to expect too much from human relationships, that there is inside of every human being a God-shaped void that no other person can fill, and that is true. But apparently, but apparently God creates inside of the man, and this is the part I'd never thought about, apparently God creates inside of the man a kind of human-shaped void that God himself will not fill. Wow. He could have made man to be totally satisfied with him and him alone. He could have done it. Instead, he leaves the man incomplete. And he chooses not to complete him with himself. But rather, he leaves a little gap there that only a human being could fill. He goes on to say, no substitute will fill this need for human relationship. Not money, not achievement, not busyness, not books, not even God himself. Even though this man was in a state of sinless perfection, he was alone and it was not good. Wow. You know, this is, a, this is obviously a, has to do with marriage and a man and a woman coming together in a marriage, but it has to do with each one of us as human beings. We were created to be in relationship with other human beings. So God says, it's not good. It's not good that man should be alone. So I'm gonna make him a helper. I'm gonna make him a woman. Why is it good that man should not be alone? In your notes there, here's, here's, the, here's the big reason, and we'll talk about this for the rest of our time together today. Isolation is deadly. When you're alone, it could destroy you. When you and I choose to live in isolation. And I'm not talking about on top of a mountaintop somewhere in Colorado in a, in a shack. Not that type of isolation. Just the kind of isolation where, you know, you're in the midst of a lot of people, but nobody really knows you. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, he's talking about me. Nobody really knows who you are or what's going on inside of you. You're living 
in isolation, even though you you have many casual relationships. It's not good that man should be alone because it's deadly to the man. It's deadly to the woman to be alone. Does that make sense? And so what I want to talk about is something Andy Stanley said that I think is absolutely powerful. It's going to kind of shape the rest of our talk here. He said that when we, we are the biggest threat to ourselves and other people when we live in isolation. This is a massive statement. And I want to talk about whether or not this is true, and I believe it is true, so we're going to, I'm going to try to convince you why this is true. We are the biggest threat to ourselves and to other people, our husband, our wives, our children, the people we work with, when we live in isolation. And I believe there's four reasons for that. When we live in isolation, number one, if you're taking notes, we do not receive the love we need. You do not receive the love that you need. Now, when I say love, I'm not talking about romance. I'm not talking about, you know, what, how Hollywood tries to, you know, portray love. I'm talking about understanding someone empathizing with you, understanding what's going on in your life. I'm talking about support. I'm talking about people coming alongside of you and, and encouraging you. I'm talking about giving you what you need at this particular time in your life. That's what love is. There's a, a researcher at, uh, at the University uh, UCLA School of Medicine. He, he's done a lot of research on human connectivity. His name is Alan Shore. He said this, the idea is that we are born to form attachments that our brains are physically wired to develop in tandem with other people through emotional connection beginning before words are even spoken. Of course, he's talking about when we come out of the womb. Another, another uh, researcher said this, babies who are not held and nuzzled and hugged enough will literally stop growing. If the situation continues long enough, even if they are receiving proper nutrition, could die. It's powerful. That's how God has created you and I. He's created us to be in connection with other people from the very beginning. The the soul is not shaped, it's not formed, it's not developed in the proper way outside uh, of the context of relationships. That's why Henry Cloud, who wrote the book Boundaries, he's famous for that book, he said this. He said, the soul cannot prosper without being connected to others. You cannot become the person that God designed you to be in isolation. You don't receive the love that you were created for. That's why the Bible, when you open up the Bible and you look into it and you start reading it, what you see is the Bible saying over and over and over, love your, who? Love your neighbor as who? As yourself. So you can quote it. Why? Because that's what we need. And it's not talking about romance. It's not talking about physical sex or anything like that. It's, you, know what, you, know what, you know what that means to love your neighbor as yourself? Do what is best for the other person. If that means encouragement, give it to them. If that means correction, give it to them. If that means support, give it to them. Love is doing what is best for the other person. Why? Because we all need it. We all need to be in relationship with one another. Paul takes it a step further in Romans 13, and he says this. For the commandments, all of the commandments are summed up. Now, he's talking from a Jewish perspective. There are over about 614 laws. Of course, 10 of them are the big 10, right? He says, you can do all of the laws perfectly if, watch this, if you do what? If you love your neighbor as yourself. Sum up the whole law. Why? Because love does no wrong to his neighbor. Love doesn't reject his neighbor. Love doesn't judge his neighbor. Love doesn't gossip about his neighbor. Love doesn't steal from his neighbor. Love does what is best for his neighbor. Does that make sense? And every single human being needs to be understood. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? In, like, in my life, I, 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 just, I just long for someone to just kind of say, oh, that's what it's like to be you. I just long for that. 
You know, it's someone to say, man, it's tough. It must be tough to kind of do what you do. Ah. <sighs> you know, just, isn't that why your marriage, some of your marriage stink? Because you, you're like, my husband does, doesn't get it. If he folded six, you know, things of laundry, then maybe he'd get it. Right? And, and guys are like, well, if my wife worked my job, if she knew the pressures I was at, if she, if she, she didn't even know. She didn't get it, the pressure I'm under and all the stress. And, and what we long for is for the people in our lives to go, wow, I get you. That's tough. Yeah, that's what we were created for. And when you're living in isolation, you don't get that. You don't get that. Number two, the reason that you're the biggest threat to yourself and other people when you're living in isolation is because you don't get the wisdom that you need. And, I'm, and, and when I say wisdom, I'm not talking about ethereal, something you know, out there, pie in the sky, some deep philosophy. I'm just talking about like, what do I do next? <laughs> I've got this relationship situation and I don't know what to do. I've got this financial situation. I don't know the next step to take. I, I'm not sure. I don't, you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is the, the, the godly perspective that you need to take the next step, the next right step in your life. And when you're living on your own, listen, you're limited to your perspective. And is, is anybody honest enough in this room to say, you know what, my perspective is limited? I'll go first. I got two hands up. My perspective is limited. What I don't know far outweighs what I do know. You willing to admit that? <laughs> what I don't know far outweighs what I do know about life. And so when I choose to live in isolation and kind of go at things myself as a pastor or as a husband or whatever, I'm limited to, 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 to understanding. What, if, what would happen if I just brought other people into my life and, who, who are doing what I'm doing and, 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 and leading family, leading their kids and leading their wives and have good marriages? What if I pulled them in tightly into my life and I started to lean into what they were doing or started asking them how to handle situations? Would I grow as a human being? Would I make better decisions? Would you? You better believe it. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 15, without counsel, plans fail, but with many people in your life who have experience, who know, who have knowledge, with many advisors, we succeed. See, there are people out there that have been through what you've been through, whether it be a depression or divorce or the death of a loved one, or some type of cancer, and the, and, or, or a rebellious teenager, and they have lived through it, and they have come out on the other side, and they have some wisdom and some knowledge that you lack, and they can give you guidance as you're going through your struggle, and you're not receiving it because you are living in isolation. And so you, all you have is your perspective on how to handle this. So why, why are you the biggest threat to yourself? And to other people when you're living in isolation, you, you don't get the wisdom that you need to make great decisions in this life. That makes sense? Let's talk about number three. You don't receive the accountability that you need. When you live in isolation, you don't receive the accountability that you need. Now, that word accountability is not very popular. Can I just, just break that, you know, per, you know, perception really quick? Accountability is a wonderful word. It is an incredible word. It simply means to give an account of something. So if somebody gives you $100 and you spent it, you say, here's how I spent it. Somebody says, hey, here's a, here's a week to do something, this project, and then you come back to your boss. Here's how I spent my week. It's just to give an account of, of something. And, and can I just let you know that whether you're a believer or not a believer, you're a person of faith or you're an atheist or somewhere in the middle, at the end of your life, you will give an account. You will give an account. 
you will give an answer for your life. How did you spend your time? How did you spend your talents? How did you manage the money that you had? You will give an account of your life. So if in the end of our lives we're going to give an account, wouldn't it make complete sense that we start doing it now with each other? Just kind of being accountable to each other. I mean, it's going to happen anyway. We see, we Americans, we don't like that word accountability because we're free. This is the land of the free. We can do whatever we want. We can spend our money however we want and, you know, watch whatever we want to watch and fill our minds with whatever we want to fill. We don't, we don't want to give account to anybody because we're free Americans. Okay. Okay. You can, you're free to do whatever you want, but you're not free to control the consequences of your freedom. And there are always consequences to your choices, aren't there? So we're going to give an account. Why do we need accountability? Why do we need people in our life to say, hey, 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 what's going on there? Hey, what's, why do we need that? Here's why. Because you and I have a tendency to drift. We drift away from God. We drift away from what is good and right. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Isn't it crazy how we never drift into good things? Have you ever drifted into a, a good diet? You know, you just find yourself, you know, in the fridge or rumbling through looking for carrots and celery. <laughs> what do we look for? You know, and, and we're hungry. You know, we go for the sweet stuff or the salty stuff or whatever the stuff. It's amazing. We, have you ever noticed you never drift into the, your workout clothes? It's just never, you never find yourself. Like, how did I get into these? I don't know. <laughs> Looks like I'm going for a run. I can't wait. You know, it's, it's amazing. We hardly ever drift into what is good or, or all of a sudden you find yourself on your knees. How did I get here? I'm praying. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. We never drift into prayer. It's like all of these things take work and it's like we're, we're, we're pushing against the grain and we're going upstream. Our culture doesn't help us, does it? Our culture's not going towards the things that are good or godly, right? <laughs> They're advertising all the wrong things for us, unhealthy things for our bodies and our souls. That's why Paul said this in Romans chapter 12. He said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is simply going away from God. So the culture's not helping us. We did a whole series one time called Upstream. It was, I thought it was a great series. And then basically it was the, it was the idea that if we're gonna go towards God, we gotta go against the culture and swim upstream. So this is difficult. So how do we avoid drifting away from God? We're going to get to that in a second. I want to look first at a, book, at a, a verse in Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to this. It's like, it's like God is speaking right to you and me today. Listen, be careful. Be on guard. Watch out, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own, say it with me, your own what? Hearts. We did a whole series one time called Soul Keeping. At the center of the soul, there are different parts of the soul. At the center of the soul is the heart or the will. This is the place where we make our choices, okay? You say, where do my choices come from? They come from our heart, right? Be careful. Make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Watch this. Turning you away from the living God. What turns us away from the living God? Something has gone wrong where? In our hearts, our hearts have gotten off course. They've become evil. Now we're turning away. Who would, turn, who would dare turn away from the living God? I mean, the source of life. Jesus calls himself the living water. At one point he called himself the bread of life. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest of soul. Right? Who in their right mind would turn away from the living God? You know who would? Your pastor. That's right. I would. I could. I can. And every single one of us can. And that's why he says, be careful. 
Be on your toes. Watch out. Make sure that nothing goes wrong inside of your hearts, turning, causing you to turn away from the living God. Every single one of us can potentially turn away from the living God. So, because that's the situation, watch what he says in the next verse. You must warn each other. How often? Every day. All the time. You got to be saying to each other, hey, 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 how's it going? Are you on track? This is accountability. This is giving an account to someone in my life about what's going on inside of my heart. Warn, the word there means to provoke or to prod or to question or to say, hey, or watch out. Why? Why are we warning each other? So that none of you would be deceived by sin and hardened against God. See, sin is deceitful. We have an enemy. We talked about that last week. And what does he do? He lies to us. And if we're not on guard, we'll start believing the things he's saying about us and about our future and our past and all these different things. And our hearts will grow cold and we'll be deceived into trusting in something that isn't, doesn't give us life. And we get off course and we turn away from the living God. What does he say the solution is? He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to warn each other every single day so that your hearts are not turned away from the living God. Now, here's... We, we can do that at a certain level in rows. Everybody look down your row really quick. This is, this, this is, these are the rows. The problem with rows, even though I love rows and I love when the rows are filled, every preacher does. The problem with rows is that I don't know what's going on in your heart. And neither does, does the person at the end of your row in the balcony, wherever you're sitting. They don't know what's going on in your heart. So they can't warn you. They can't say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That teenager that you have, he's hanging out with the wrong crowd. If you don't watch over that, it, you're, you're 15 year old. You're going to lose your 15 year old. And by the time he's 18, they're not going to even want to talk to you. I don't know that because I'm up here and, and you're down there and I can't, I don't know what's going on in your heart. Now you can come down here and stand in line, but that's not a good system. We'll be here till four o'clock. That's not a good system, right? Plus, we have multiple campuses. I can't go over there physically, right? We can't, we can't care for each other's hearts in rows because we don't know. In fact, we could say it this way, the way Andy Stanley said it, rows don't know. <laughs> it's impossible. So because we don't know and you don't know what's going on in the person's life next to you, we can't warn each other. And we can, therefore, we can't even obey the scripture because all we do is sit in rows. Let me tell you something. If you're just sitting in a row, it ain't gonna work. In fact, I believe more of the church, the, the stuff that church is all about happens in a community group in somebody's house. It happens better there than it happens here because of what we're talking about right now. See, we didn't make this stuff up. We didn't make this stuff up. This is real life stuff. It turns out the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin and the deceitfulness of your own heart is not yourself. It's not even a preacher talking to you from up here. It's a community of people that love you and are going to do what's best for you. That, are, that know what's going on in your heart and that can warn you and say, hey, 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 I can sense that you and your, your, your wife are kind of drifting apart. I can sense that, man, you're really, you're really overspending your budget. If you don't quit, if you don't cut back and maybe get on some Dave Ramsey stuff, you guys might end up in some serious financial trouble. I don't know that, but they do. So we're warning each other, Right? See, the staff and I, we don't sit in our offices and go, you know what, What's, how can we keep our people really busy? 
<laughs> I know. Let's get them all. Let's try to get them all in groups. Take another night of their week. Make it difficult. I know they got a lot of stuff going on. But we like our people at Emmanuel to be really busy. Let's get them in groups. That'd be fun. Do you think that's what we do? No. We look and we say, how can we help people become like Christ? How can we help them form and shape and, and, and transform their lives? It's, it's in the context of community. Let's talk about this fourth one. The reason you're the greatest threat to yourself and to other people when you're living in isolation is because you don't get the strength that you need. You don't get the strength you need. This life is hard. This life is tough. If, you are, if you're not going through something difficult right now, you probably will. I'm talking about a, a sickness or a job transition, a relationship struggle, a parenting struggle. And what you need and the way God created you is, is to lean into other people for strength. Listen to, Pro, listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. That's pretty obvious. Two people can do more work than one person can do. They're working together. Watch this. For if they fall, if one should fall, the other person will lift up his fellow. He continues. But woe, or isn't it sad for the person who is, what? Alone. When he, she, when he or she falls, he has not another to lift them up. In other words, when you choose to live in isolation, when you're going at life all by yourself and all of a sudden you hit one of those bumps, man, man, oh man. You don't have people to say, oh man, I got you. I'll, I'll be there for you. I'm, you know, lean into me. That strength is not there for you. And so that's why we're, we try to create this environment where people can not just sit in rows like all of you are doing right now, but also be sitting in circles with other people to receive the strength that you need. I'll tell you a quick story, and then we'll wrap this up. True story about a couple in our church. They were invited uh, three years ago by another guy in our church who was doing their mortgage. And um, they started to come to Emmanuel. They'd been coming for three years. During that time, um, their marriage started to kind of fall apart even though there was some great preaching going on. <laughs> so even in the midst of preaching and rows and all that stuff, behind the scenes, pfft, not, not working out. Well, what, what the cause was, and I've got permission to share this from this couple, so uh, what the cause was that the, the husband had developed a pretty serious addiction to prescription medication. And it was a secret his wife didn't know, and so... Uh, the, you know, that started to manifest itself in all types of dysfunctional behaviors you can imagine. Uh, well, one night, um, their less than one-year-old child found one of daddy's pills and swallowed it. You know, you can imagine emergency room, ER, blah, blah, blah. Then child protection services got involved and a bad situation went to worse. And so uh, going back to the fall of 2014, the husband checked himself into a rehab center. When he got there, within the first couple of days, I don't know the exact date of when he got it, he received divorce papers from his wife, which is totally understandable. So there he is in rehab, divorce papers, and after the, the, uh, the session there in rehab, he got out and they decided to kind of wait on divorce until Christmas was over of 2000, Christmas of 2015. Well, that January, we had decided to do a groups launch, much like we're doing right now, the table's out in the foyer, hey, get in a group, strength, wisdom, all this stuff. They listened, and as a last-ditch effort, January 2015, they jumped into a small group. And um, 
slowly but surely, it was, it was slow at first because they were unsure and how much do you share and our life is falling apart and blah, 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 we're about to get divorced. Um, they started to open up. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, the wife said, and I have, their, I have their story right here, one of the things the wife said that I thought was awesome was when she got into the group, she began to realize that they weren't the only ones that were struggling. And she drew comfort from that. Because as it turns out, I know this might be a shock to some of you, but everybody screwed up. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not joking. Like, you, everybody's got some stuff that's just like, huh? What? Really? Hmm, okay, I must not be crazy. You know, my life, you know. And so she drew some strength from that. They found acceptance. They found support in this group. I just want to read to you just a couple of lines that the husband actually said. These are his words. He said, I began to remember, as I joined the group, the reasons that I love my wife so incredibly much. I began to see clearly how I could become the man I always wanted to be with Christ. He said, there isn't an an area that has gone untouched in our lives. I've been able to grow into the person that God meant for me to be. I have been able to forgive myself for my past. How many of us struggle with that? I have been able to forgive myself for my past and use it as strength to lead my family. I have found true freedom and surrender and regained my influence that I had lost so long ago. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? So, so this couple, uh, I've actually never met them. This couple, they're still in that same small group. Uh, the husband is, is free of his addiction, totally, totally free from it. And their marriage is tight and they're growing and they're maturing in their relationship with Christ. See, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not making this stuff up. The group environment is there for you to draw strength in the time of your need. And so what I've tried to do for the last, I don't know, 33 minutes or so is take your arm, put it behind your back, and twist as hard as I can (laughs) to get you to go, uncle, okay, I'll join a group. (laughs) Not because the church wants you to be really busy. I don't want you to be really busy. In fact, we did a whole series on that. Do you remember? (laughs) On how not to be busy and how to say no to certain things. But this is one of the things we need you to say yes to because you are the greatest risk, the greatest threat to ourselves, we are, and others when we live our lives in isolation because you go without the love you need. You go without the wisdom you need. You choose to go without the accountability that'll stop the drift and you choose to go without the strength that you need. So, There's a table out there. That table is not there for fun. That table is there for those of you who are not in a group to go sign up to get in a group. We're gonna do a group's launch. We're gonna launch a bunch of new groups, probably the most groups we've ever launched at the history of this church on the week of September 11th. And my challenge to you today is to walk out those doors if you're not in a group and sign up to get in a group so that you don't live in isolation. Let me wrap up this way. Going back to Genesis chapter one. I want you to see something God said. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is an interesting passage. 
Genesis chapter one. This is day six, right? Notice us, our, and our. Plural words. Who is God talking to? Many people think the angels. There's lots of them. He could have said to the heavenly hosts of angels, hey, let us make man in our image. Now, I don't think that is the correct interpretation because none of us have wings. It's pretty obvious, right? Okay, that's a little silly. But we're not made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of God. So God is not talking to angels. He's talking to the Son. He's talking to the Spirit. He's saying, Father, Son, Spirit, or, or, or Spirit, Son, let's get together. Let's make man in our image. Now, here's what's interesting. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that you are created to be a relational being because God is relational at his core. One theologian said that God is a sweet society amongst himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. God has dwelled in relationship with himself for all eternity, and then he creates man. Why does he create man? I mean, we look at this world today and we could ask that question. That's a real question. What in the world? Why? With all the pain and all the suffering and all the problems, why would he even do that? You know what he thought one time, one point in history? He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to create a being that we're going to invite into fellowship with us. That's what we're going to do. God thought it was better to create a human being even though he ran the risk of the human being going awry and choosing not to follow him and love him, but to create a, a being that has free will, who can choose to step into a relationship with the Trinity. And that's why he made the world, and that's why he made you, to be in relationship with God. Now, some preachers have reduced that down to, hey, Jesus died for your sins, he, paid, he died on a cross, put your faith in Jesus, have your sins washed away, go to heaven when you die. That is not the message. You want to know what the message is of Christianity? Enter into fellowship with the Trinity. That is why Christ came. That is why he died on a cross. To remove the penalty of sin and guilt. Not so that you can go to heaven when you die. Yes, it includes that. But so that you can step into fellowship with Father, Son, and Spirit right now in this moment and begin experiencing abundant life. That's different. That's God with you. The name of this church is Emmanuel. You know what it means? God with us. Now. Right now. If you'd like to step into relationship with the Trinity, Jesus said it's simple. He said, just come to me. Come to me and trust in me and put your confidence in me. Enter into my kingdom is the way he would say it. He'd say, turn, repent, turn from living in your own kingdom. Step into mine and live with me. If you'd like to make that decision right now, I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer of faith. If you feel God tugging on your heart, just close your eyes and just express your simple faith to God. It doesn't take much, just a little bit of faith. Say something like this to him right now. Father, Son, Spirit, I turn into your kingdom today. I trust you. You are ultimate reality. I put my confidence in you. I want to live with you. 
Jesus, I believe you finished the work on the cross, death, burial, resurrection, so I can live with you right now. So I come to you for forgiveness. I come to you for fellowship. I come to you for grace. I want to live and walk with you for the rest of my life. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that simple prayer, what it means, what it means is that you have entered into fellowship with the Trinity. Now, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit are going to begin to guide you, okay? They are now in charge of your life. They are now the leaders of your life, okay? That's why we call Jesus Lord. Lord meaning master, in charge, calling the shots. How do you know what the master wants? Well, one way is to come sit in a row, okay? Another way is to get into the scriptures and say, what does the master want? With my sexuality, with my finances, with my attitude. And our attitudes stink sometimes. What does he want? <laughs> well, he says, I want you to have the attitude, the same attitude as I have, right? As we begin to learn what the master wants by taking the words into our heart and mind. So that's why we want to give you, if you pray to receive Christ today, there's Bibles in the back. You say, I already have a Bible. Well, these are special. These are special. These are special because it's just the New Testament and it's broken down into little five-minute readings according to the date. So if you pray to receive Christ today and you entered into life with the Trinity, we invite you to go grab one of those. If you've already done that, go buy one. <laughs> it's two bucks, I think. Maybe five. Not sure. In the bookstore. So, are you guys excited? Is this awesome? So, what have I done today? What have I done? I've taken your arm. I put it back here. I'm twisting and twisting. What? Why? To get you to do what? To get you to go sign up so that you can avoid living in isolation. So you can get the love and the accountability and the wisdom and the strength that you need for life. Will you do it? Will you do it? All right. Well, my team's going to call me later today and say how many signups we had. So if you don't do it, I'm going to know. You like the accountability there? Yeah. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for the fun. Thanks for, for the opportunity. You invite us into a life with yourself. We figure that life out better when with others in our life. Other people who are headed the same way. Help us to live in community. Help us to, 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 to not live in isolation. Two are better than one, God. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So help us. I hope you're pleased today, Jesus. I hope you're smiling right now because we love you and we do this for you. It's in your precious name we pray, amen. Hey, excited to see you next week. Bring a friend.